0: Listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonza Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Buzz. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder with me, Nicholas Bugs, Nick, say
1: hello. Yes, sir. What's going on, man? It's good to see you.
0: (laughs) Good to see you as well. I almost said that means it's an Indie Talk, finally. (laughs) Basically. Um, We have not been on the mic for a long time, and uh, a lot's going on in the world, and in honor of 8.5% inflation in March, oh, geez. I am drinking this wine here. You say, well, how could a wine? Mm,
1: that that's was delicious.
0: Sip. That's a deep uh, set. How can this wine be in honor of inflation? You see here, I'm drinking the Wabi Sabi mm. right here. Uh, very tasty out of Austria. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. It is the uh, Love and Passion Red. It's a 2020 uh, varietal uh, from uh, Weinviertel, which um, is in the northeast or northeastern area of Austria. And why Austria? Because it was the Austrian economists who told us that we would be in this inflationary situation. Oh, oh, so many centuries ago. And so See. in honor of the inflation, I have selected a Austrian wine, red wine, to sip on. And it is so delicious. And I will be sipping on it for the duration of our conversation today.
1: <laughs> well, you're going to have to slow sip, but So that wasn't a deep pour, bro. Yeah. So i probably will to, finish
0: the bottle in this conversation. There you go. Just there to, you go. Just to, <laughs> just, just to lay my... Financial head on a pillow. Uh, but but I won't complain. The markets were up today. Great. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, well, I'll be sipping on this tea in this big old cup I got going on here. <laughs> that's a giant fucking that's a giant mug. You, <laughs>
0: I like when somebody you have you ever had a gift from someone? <laughs> I could just stop there and just ask you that, but I'll keep going. Have you have you had a gift from someone that like uh came from a pottery shop? Where they went and like made you a, a, a mug. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like they bake it and then yeah. there's uh-huh. a special word for it, a kiln. it. Yeah. They. Yeah. They killing it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And whenever they do that, They're killing it, it's always
1: a soup bowl and not a coffee mug. Of course. Yeah. It's the it's coffee a mug thing. is too hard. It's too hard to make in that in that size. They got to make it larger. You know. It's all part of the plan. It's like when the kids make those necklaces yeah, with the super huge beads. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oh, man. I just just got sad for a second. I'm like, wait a second. Do they even do that anymore? The kids make bead necklaces anymore.
0: I was given a big mug. Mm. And uh, it was like rainbow colored and said some words on it, but it was all scribbly lettered like Snoopy wrote it or something. No, right, if said like wabi sabi or something on it, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, I brought I brought the person over, and I showed them my cabinet, and uh, said, you know, I didn't say anything. I just actually just pointed. Look, all my dishes are white. I just can't figure out how this fits into the <laughs> I can't I love the gift I can't figure out yeah, how right. it fits in to my feng shui here
1: you just tell them you're a little bit OCD that what it is it's like yeah. I just can't like I I, it, I mean I would love to right. right I would love to but it's just I would
0: yeah yeah, yeah not three times I, I would I love the gift <laughs> I would I would love to accept this I would love to accept this. Uh, but mm. if I put it in my cupboard, uh, I will have to like put it on top of a existing mug. That's how big it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I just, I can't look at that every day when I come in to the kitchen for breakfast. I I can't Got do that. Yeah. If I look because up you and have see o- it, OCD. because my cabinets are glass where you can see inside. Uh, mm. if I see that, then what the day's ruined? Right. Whoa! So that's that's difficult yeah. to say
1: to somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the bug, but looking at it ruins my day. Like I just—I
0: <laughs> see not I can think do. of you, and now my day yeah. is ruined. Exactly,
1: it sucks. No, yeah, to do that. Uh,
0: what What doesn't suck is uh, our good friends over mm-hmm. at the Arts and Business Council. By ABC. Hmm. And they brought us in along with the wonderful uh, Courtney Sabatini and the incredibly uh, gifted and intelligent Nick Barnes. And they had us on a workshop and we got to do something we love to do, which is to answer questions from independent creatives. And, you know, Nick is there as an as an agent and, and he works for UTA and Courtney's there as, as, a, as a lawyer, entertainment lawyer, both very, very valuable. But one of the things that we bring to the table is that we're a boots on the ground, independent creative, branding and marketing firm, executive producers and independent film, producers and independent film, right? And then we also have the benefit of, of, of talking to just um, so many creatives across the world about their journey in independent film and get to learn from them. It's it's such a, it's such a blessing. So we did that. And and the interesting thing about a panel is, is that when you have the moderator plus the guest plus four people on a, on a, in a workshop, um, an hour and a half seems like a long time. It's really not. I mean, I think we might've answered maybe as a group, we might've answered four to seven, guest questions. There was like 60, 70 people on the call and, and, and uh, cause it was a, it was virtual, virtual panel. I thought what we would do today is um, answer some of the questions from the workshop that we just didn't get to address, but we saw in the chat, we knew were like really interesting, great questions that people would get a lot out of. And because most of the attendees were independent filmmakers, I thought, well, what the heck, Nick? Let's get on here and let's answer some of these questions. Are you, are you cool with that? I'm game. You know I am. All right, good. Let's, let's hop into this thing. So and Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, okay. Okay. Let's start with this one. Um, And I wish we had the names of the people who submitted these. So I had to say that the first one was from Alfalfa. Yeah. Maybe we'll get them eventually. (laughs) But um, the first question was, I'd like to know how to go about placing a completed film with a streaming service that pays. And Nick, uh, I, I would love to just, contextualize this a little bit and then let you hop in. If that's cool.
1: Go for it, man. This is how we did it on the panel too. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) exactly. Yeah. You see it up.
0: So, I mean, there's a couple of keywords here. So one is placing the word placing is an interesting choice of words. Um, And then streaming service that pays Mm. uh, is a, is an interesting qualifier as well. So, so, and and there's a few things in this question. So there are, and there's this concept of negative pickups and that's kind of an old term, but negative pickups is, is basically the Hollywood term for when a studio buys an independent film, um, After its completion or before principal photography and the whole thing got a little bit squirrely, you know, because what a studio would do was they would open up a production company for the sole purpose of producing that one film. And they would funnel sort of through the back door. They would funnel the money to, to sort of bankroll this company that was going to make this film. And the reason they did that is so that you could get away with not paying union rates, basically. So it's a way to make your film less expensive, get content for your distribution stream and not pay absorbent uh, union fees or, or market union fees for, for crew and cast, et cetera. Now SAG's a little bit more flexible when it comes to like the budget level and working union, non-union, but for like the crew and IATSE, because these studios are signatories, they're really not allowed to like go outside the union, right, Nick? So that's kind of a way to, to trick the system or game the system and. Uh two newsletters ago, I wrote a commentary about this in our in our bi-weekly newsletter, Industry Insights, which everyone should subscribe to. It's really awesome. Uh, but I wrote a commentary about this that, you know, the squeeze that's happening to independent filmmakers is caused by ourselves and then our desire obviously to survive, which is fine and real. Like we should want to get paid what we're worth. We should want a safe set, which is what Ayati would provide, for example, or what um Uh, a a guild would provide for in in the most case Now, the Alec Baldwin thing with rust is a, is a, you know, an outlier, but in general, you know, when you're on an indie film, you don't have any of those protections, right? Uh, If you're, if you're working non-union, we want that. But at the same time, that also um, can uh, push down and, 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 and slow down uh, the, um uh, progress and opportunities that independent filmmakers have to sell their movies and to make an affordable movie or a movie that equity investors would um feel they have a decent chance of profiting from you know in the future so that's negative pickups mm-hmm. there then there's false negative pickup right where the studios funneling the money that's just a game right and then there's like just when you see like a, a post from like Hollywood reporter or a variety that says blah, 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 set to star in. And it's like, what is this movie? That's just like an announcement of a pickup. And a pickup is like where a mid major or a mini major is going to pick you up and, and they're going to put you into a services deal. Right. And we've talked a lot about services deals uh, over the years, Nick, I think you understand what I'm talking about here. And so yeah. when you say placed, the first thing to understand is that a streamer, that's major is a studio. I mean, that's where we are right now. So they are a studio. So if you want to be placed at a major studio, it's good to have sort of that commitment in place in pre-production. So right before principal photography, uh, if you don't, then you can try to sell it in post uh, again. Um, you might end up in that mini major category then. And then we look at paid. Well, you know, the the big studio streamer, let's just use Netflix because we always use Netflix the way that everyone uses McDonald's when they're talking about fast food. <laughs> right. So Netflix will pay you what it costs to make the film plus a little uh, to, to, to put in your pocket, right? pay back your investors, make some money, make the next film. That's really awesome. I mean, I think that's great because it keeps you in the business, right? But make no mistake, that's like a placement at a studio. You don't get any rights after that. You don't get any, uh, there's no residual payments. There's no, you know, they they own it lock, stock and barrel. That's what it is. And um, when you go through, let's say a mini major, like I said, and you get a services deal, It's going to be put out everywhere movies stream, but you're not getting money up front. You might get an MG minimum guarantee of like 25 grand, 50 grand, maybe a hundred grand, but usually you're getting nothing. Usually you owe them money to distribute, but those also pay. (laughs) Like They pay every quarter. You're going to get a check. As long as your movie's good and it's in those places, you're going to get a check. So, um, you know, I I think I wanted to contextualize it before I actually f- answered the first part of the question. So <laughs> I'll stop there. That's kind of the context of it. Nick, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the question was really, you know, was asking about a completed film, right? So I think, again, in the context of things, at that point you know it can be a challenge right your your challenge is, is much bigger if you're now trying to place a completed film when you ask the question about streamers you know and of course so there's the the context of streamers and then you have within that there's a subset which is what they're getting at which is a streamer that pays right so you have a completed film looking for a streamer that pays of course they did not provide Uh, the person asking the question didn't say pays what, right? So, because like you said, there's a lot of streamers out there that pay, but how much they pay is really the question, right? And then how much they pay is also, or how much a filmmaker is interested in the streamer paying is also related to how much that filmmaker invested or invested other people's money in making the film right so again you make your feature film you know we have friends who've done this made a feature film for five to ten thousand dollars right so a streamer yep. that pays right and it pays you out a hundred dollars a month you know say three hundred dollars a quarter uh twelve hundred a year that might be great <laughs> right. That might be spot on for you. You make your money back in the next couple of years. It all works itself out. Uh, but if you're spending two hundred to five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on your film, you know, that trickle doesn't really help. So, you know, I think really to, to get back to the, that question, it's like. You need to. It's some of the same things you would have said at the beginning of your film, you know, before you get into production it really is have you identified the audience for your specific film and have you identified the distributors and the streamers that work in that market?
0: Yeah. So let me, hop, let, let me, hop, let, let me hop in on that before I forget. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really huge because, um, what happens is, is if, if the buyer knows the audience right away, like let's say you have a, a Marvel film, so that audience is established they know who they're going to sell it to. They know exactly how it's going to perform. Yep, all that exactly. Stuff. If you go in and you pitch your movie, let's say in pre-production, like you're trying to sell it in advance, you've got some, you've got a casting director, uh, you've got your whole shot list, you've got all your locations, your producers are on board, obviously you've got your shooting schedule, you've got your budget, you're ready to pitch it, you're pitching this thing, and they don't want to buy it, it's because they haven't identified the audience. And they view your film as a film that needs to find its audience. And that's, that, that's movie code for, let's put this thing out there into the world um, in the least expensive, most efficient way, Meaning a services deal through some Bitmax aggregator, and see if it finds an audience. And uh, famously, this happened with um, Family Guy, and it happened with um, God. What's the other one that that got canceled and, and came back and, and had a huge following? American um, Dad. No, no, Breaking Bad has been, was great. Off no, the Am-
1: American Dad.
0: Oh, American Dad. I don't know if it was American Dad, but it was Family Guy and one other. But But those were shows that got canceled, got picked up by another broadcast channel, found an audience, and then were repurchased by the original buyer. So a lot of times... It's not an issue of, it's not It's not like this thing where it's like, I found my audience. It's also about in the pitch, did you convince the buyer that you found your audience?
1: Yeah, I think that's, again, that's it. It's the research that has to be done really, I guess, at any level. Because again, some filmmakers are trying to sell, per the question, a completed film, right? But that's it. So it's finding the appropriate distributor or streaming service. Right. And I say, or, because in a lot of cases, the streamers deal, you know, B2B, right. It's business to business. So they'll work with distributors, not necessarily independent or individual filmmakers. Some do, right. You can post your stuff to a streaming service. Uh, The other part that, you know, like we talked about before that pays, that's the most challenging part of it because I think all of them pay. That's, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's in their terms and conditions, right? There's T and C's yep. and C's. It's, they will pay, but it depends on how they pay. So do they pay per view? Do they pay based off an ad basis? Do they pay based off of how much of your film was watched? Do they pay based off of cumulative number of hours during the quarter? Or do they pay based off of how much your film was watched relative to everything else that they have? Within their portfolio. Mm-hmm. So they all pay. And then the other kind of caveat to this is, you know, it's difficult to say that your film will receive it pay because the main factor here is, well, how good is your film? Right, right, <laughs> right? So that's yeah, a piece of the puzzle, right? There's no it's not a you know one plus one equals two, right? I have film, I found distributor, I make money back. Yeah, that's not the way that it works. So again, is it's getting into what who's what's your audience? Does the streaming service that you've identified uh, market to that audience? Do you have a, a good and let's say great film that will actually get to that audience? Um, Are you doing stuff outside of the distribution, outside of the the streamer to uh, activate that audience? And then what is the pay model that that streamer uses to pay you back? All of these are factors in basically answering that, that very difficult question.
0: Right. And we've answered the why we've answered the, what Uh, I want to get to what they asked, which was the how. And the how is that you start in pre-production. It's really good to know as early as possible, if you have a compelling market fit for, for any streamer. And so what's your cast got, you know, get a, get a great casting director, you know, that some of the, some of the roles in independent film are not created equal. And I think you need a great line producer. I think you need, a director, writer director that has something to say that understands nuance, the little things. And I think you need a a great casting director because if you want to sell in pre-pro, you're going to have to walk to a bank or a streamer or whoever funds your movie or gets it made because we're talking about placing it at a streamer that pays. So if we imply pays big, uh, they're probably going to fund your movie based on their feeling on the market fit of it and how it can turn out and the, and the people involved and can execute. So the how is, is start with those letters of intent, get those cast commitments in place. Okay. Get executors in place and have a hell of a pitch ready to go. Cause you want to find out before you shoot the film, what the market viability of your movie is. And you want to see what the response is. Okay. Now, on the other side of it, you want to pitch to streamers that have popularity, have a massive following, right? Because, again, we, we want to be paid well. But they also need to have a problem on their hands. They need to have some problem around content they need to solve. You know, maybe they're the type of... Um, Streamer that has overinvested in licensing and doesn't have um, enough original stuff. Well, how would that affect you? Well, it would affect you poorly. I would, you would avoid them. Well, how about you have a streamer that has the opposite problem, where they've invested so much in their own stuff and they haven't licensed very much. And let's say your money's already in place. Well, that's going to help you a lot because they don't want to spend any more money. You're going to cover the bill. You're going to make the movie. Your movie looks marketable. You have the attachments in place. You have the executors in place and your pitch was kick-ass. So yeah, we'll pick you up. We'll pick it up, put it on our, put it on our streaming network. So that's the how, and I think Nick, you, you did a good job of covering the what and the why. So anyway, long winded answer to that question, but there was a lot to it. Let's go to difficult question to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, it's almost like uh, someone walking up to you and saying, Hey man, how do I get rich? Right. <laughs> um, okay. Bullet number four, whoever asked that question, by the way, good question. Thank you for asking it. Uh, let's see. Why do we answer this one? What, what exploration rights are considered negotiable in distribution agreements and which ones typically are not? And I'm going to make a correction here—maybe not a correction, but an adjustment—and I'm going to exchange the word exploration right. with exploitation. With exploitation. Nick, so I think go. they mean the, I think they mean the exhibition windows and stuff like that. So this one, uh, Nick, why don't you why don't you jump in on this one
1: right away? Yeah, just, I can uh, get into it. Yeah, I'll jump in and just—you know—I like try to keep things simple. And I just say that everything is the nego- every, everything is negotiable. Yep. <laughs> right. It's, it's all on the table. Uh, I think that, you know, cause it asks the question which ones are negotiable typically and which ones are not uh, everything is negotiable. I would say period the end uh, will you win a negotiation? It's really depends on what your leverage is. Right. So If the distributor has all the leverage, as in, well, you know, you have no other options, right? This is the one distributor that was willing uh, to take your film, and you, let's say you've let them know that, (laughs) right? Then they know that they have the leverage. This, we're we're it for you, you know. So you either take our terms or you can kick rocks, right? And and good luck. Uh, But if there's some level of uh, there's a perception that there's competition then i think the negotiation table becomes much more wide open i think that some of the terms that people might think are non-negotiable so that typically that are not uh, could be actually in you know how long they get to license your film mm-hmm. you know they'll put that in there and they might say yeah that's non-negotiable you know 15 years 7 years 10 years whatever it is um, and that might have been the case or might have been okay 5 years ago maybe 10 years ago But the environment has changed. The zeitgeist has changed, right? There's even films that are moving from, you know, a Netflix to a Paramount Plus, right? Or vice versa. There's a lot of shifting and changing of hands going on here. And I think that as an independent filmmaker, you need to be able to have that flexibility as well. Uh, Another item that I think that may not be off the table, but is something that filmmakers might not consider is you know what are the rights to a potential sequel right or what are the rights to ancillary products that are associated with the film i think all of those things from an exploitation perspective all of those things are on the table for discussion um, and if you don't discuss them then the distributor will take the rights right even if they have no intention of doing something with them they have the rights and therefore they'll they have power right so if like you mentioned chris if that film were to find its audience, right, either organically by you know people you know seeing the film and talking about the film or through the actual the independent filmmaker's work, right through their own level of effort, if it gets traction, then the distributor can just say, okay, well, we'll we'll take the rights to your t-shirts, right? We'll take the rights to your uh, graphic novel. We'll take the rights to all of these things. And I think if the independent filmmaker is doing all the work, which is usually the case, then, you know, you shouldn't let those rights go. Those should be yours. So I would say, I think typical, if I would, again, answer the question directly, I think typically filmmakers believe that they do not have power. And I think that is what we're trying to kind of deal with or contend with and just say, hey, no, that's not the case. Take your power back. And if you can't get those, the things that you want in those exploitation, uh, I guess exploitation rights, then then do walk, right? Yeah. Had some there's there's a lot of fish out there in that sea. You just have to do more work to find to find the right one. So I, again, I think everything is negotiable. Uh, you just have to understand, you know, where your leverage is, and be willing to walk if you're not getting what it is that you want.
0: Yeah, completely agree with that and when you're walking into a negotiation as a filmmaker, you're you're already kind of feeling a lot of times like a fish out of water. You're you're a little bit potentially, you know, in you know over your head. And so what I recommend is to get with the team. So sit down with your producers director writer anybody that's involved sort of in the in the gross uh you know the gross profit share stage right maybe your eps obviously your investors just sit down and say like you write a list of what it is you want like what what are you not willing to let go of so we think of things in what do we want to get Instead of what are we unwilling to do or to not get? And I think it's important to think of it the other way and write those things down and say, okay, here's, here's our walk away. Our walk away is a 15-year licensing deal. Mm-hmm. That's worldwide, right. Mm-hmm. right? So we'll take a 10-year we'll a, a domestic and we'll take a three-year international, or we'll take no international. We want to keep international rights, or they can have international rights. We'll keep domestic, although that'd be a really tough negotiation, right? <laughs> right. Um, we want all the merchandising rights. Yep. We want to know that if you go bankrupt, the movie goes flows back to us. All right. That that it doesn't get owned by the. Courts or the organization that ultimately scoops you up and buys you for pennies on the dollar as a distributor—all um, these things are things you can just write down and say, "I want these things," and any deal that doesn't provide them, you know, that's not a deal I'm going to take. Um, there are typical terms in a contract. It is a ten to fifteen-year licensing di- licensing deal with a mini major, usually, or with an independent distributor um, with streaming companies uh they just want to buy your film outright uh, usually there are licensing deals they make though those deals depend on how good your movie is and how well it performs Uh, as far as i know a streamer like a netflix has all the rights to just in the licensing deal um at the end of a term and just simply not renew and those those terms vary based on how strong they feel like the movie is, you know? So, but again, that's just you accepting that outcome, right? Like that's just you saying, okay, I'll accept that. That's what I'll do. Um, there's a great book by Chris Voss and I, I, I'll have at least find the name of it, but I read it when it came out about two years ago and I've read tons of negotiating books and sales books and things like that. And I really, find that book to be a great starter book for anyone that's trying to negotiate or learn how to negotiate that where negotiation is sort of outside of their purview. And it's, it's a smart idea, like get that skill and then use it in your world. Um, you'll, you'll learn a lot about how deals go down just from reading the, the Michael Ovid's book. I mean, the, right. the first thing you'll learn is don't <laughs> fuck with Michael Lovitz. The second thing you'll learn <laughs> yeah. is this is like the nature of deals. And, you know, typically in situations, the person with the purse string has the leverage to start out, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And we know that from watching sports, we know that an athlete that has the promise of turning a franchise around will get a big payday. They just will. Um, You know, you, you usually like like even in the if you have an escort <laughs> like the oldest profession in the world <laughs> that person with the money doesn't tell them the terms right right because the leverage is on the other foot so to speak because of one thing one thing people that have the money want to hide this from you and And there are certain businesses where it's very difficult to hide it. And that one thing is, does the other side of this negotiation know what I want? Right? As an athlete, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I know that the Kansas City Chiefs want to win a Super Bowl. Right. It's very clear. It's very transparent. I know I'm the player that can do that. (laughs) Right. Right? (laughs) Leverage. If I'm Cristiano Ronaldo, I know what you want. Your club wants to not just win— But be a marketing and branding and sales phenomenon. Well, if I come there, I'm a brand. Like, I'm not just going to help you win. Like, you're going to sell more than you've ever sold before. Right. Right. In film, it's far more opaque. Like, every contract is different. And it's because a lot of times we come to the table and don't know what the other side wants. So... Do the best research you can before you go into a negotiation. Write down what it is you actually want. And then maybe even write down a secondary list of what are you unwilling to give away. Right. Yeah. And you'll be all right. Okay. Yep. I'm with you. Let's go to this one. This is interesting, Nick. Someone asked, why doesn't the film industry have more diversity? Did you know the wealthiest actor in Hollywood is Tyler Perry? (laughs) <laughs> did you know that no i did not know that okay well now now you know mm. did you know the third wealthiest actor in all of movies is from bollywood in all Andy of movies know. yeah yeah yeah, third well you know tyler perry too this is all movies tyler perry is a yep. billionaire right uh, at this point now they all got it through ownership which is a lesson in and of itself like sylvester stallone is still the 12th wealthiest actor in Hollywood because he owns the rights to the right to Rocky, mm-hmm. which Rocky one was an independent film. People forget yes, this. It was. Yeah. So, um, Nick, what do you have to say about <laughs> diversity, uh, in, in the
1: industry? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, you know, again, the question is why doesn't it have more diversity? And, uh, There's so many ways to kind of, to, to answer this. I mean, some part of me wants to answer the the question with a question, Uh, (laughs) you know, which is, which is really like, is it that the film industry doesn't have an adequate amount of diversity? Right. Because again, the question is, why doesn't it have more? Um, Or is it that the person asking the question Does not have diverse taste, right? Diverse interest, maybe, or a diverse access to film. Because I would say that the film industry is one of the most diverse by its nature. Right. We're, we're talking about independent filmmakers. You know, this is what we do. This is what we talk about. This is, you know, to whom we speak on a regular basis. We've talked to, you know, filmmakers across the gender spectrum, mm-hmm. across the color spectrum, across the ethnicity spectrum. And, and we've done this over the course of, you know, hundreds of interviews with, with folks. So we know how diverse it is. We've been to film festivals. Right. If you physically at a film festival at any point in time, you can't help yourself but to see and to witness diversity. Yep. Right. It is it, it pours throughout the entire thing. So the question is, is that, you know, where is this lack of diversity being perceived? So you could of course, infer that we're talking about Hollywood. So when I think about Hollywood, you know, and you can, you can, again, you can go to the award shows and you can see that, you know, let's say it's, it's primarily white, right? Let's say the majority is white. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the diversity is lacking is that we're not seeing, you know, more folks of color or whatever the case is. You know, I turn again to the person asking the question and I ask, well, how diverse is your family? <laughs> Right. Right. This isn't uh, necessarily the the lack of diversity in one's family isn't necessarily because they're purposefully excluding. Right. But I take it back. So, again, if you're talking about Hollywood, you know, where was Hollywood born? Right. Who were Hollywood's parents? And when Hollywood's parents decided to birth Hollywood, who did they want to come around and help take care of their baby? Those people that they knew people that look like them, people in their community, people they could trust. And then over time, it just continued that way, Mm -hmm. right? Not necessarily because they were seeking to exclude, but they were actually looking to include the people in their community. And then some people, it worked out. Other people, it didn't, right? But for those people who worked out, okay, well, who are their friends? Let's bring them in. So it kind of grew, in what appears to be a homogeneous fashion, but it, I believe that it did so naturally. And of course, naturally through the zeitgeist of, of time, right? There were times when, you know, hey, I, let's say I'm a, an affluent Caucasian gentleman who's part of the birth of Hollywood, and I've got this African-American friend who I trust that I really want to be a part of this, but I'm in a zeitgeist where if I put him on, That could ruin me, yeah. right? So even though I might want to, it's not the best thing for me to do. So I look at it again, if you're looking at Hollywood, now look at how it's, again, the birth of Hollywood and how it's expanded over time. I think it's just a matter of people who know each other, who trust each other, who are within the same community, who continue to expand and grow within that area and then continue to continue to do the same thing. We're seeing it change. The zeitgeist itself is changing and has been changing for some time. So I think in Hollywood, we are seeing more diversity. Uh, again, that's just Hollywood. You know, you just mentioned uh, Tyler Perry. You know, Tyler Perry, yes, he stepped into Hollywood, but he did that based off of all the plays that he was doing, right? So there's a lot of other things that he is invested in that he is doing to, to amass his fortune and, and his place in, in film. You just mentioned Bollywood, right? That's outside of Hollywood. But again the question the person asking the question do they watch bollywood films right so again i think there's there's so many answers that basically lead to the fact that there actually is plenty of diversity in the film industry at large but if you're getting back to what's what hollywood is showing you then maybe yes there's not as much diversity as there could be or should be But I wouldn't say that that was necessarily purposeful in its intent. And I would also invite that person asking the question, or maybe there's multiple people who have the same question. I would invite them all to maybe turn your heads from the Netflix of the world or from just what you're seeing in the theater and go to independent theaters in your area. You know, sign on to an Indie flicks, right? Sign on to, uh, you know, even Sundance uh, channel. What, a Sundance channel or IFC. Sign on to your local PBS channel, right? And watch some of the real South uh, independent films that are, you know, being posted there and distributed there. There's so much diversity. You just have to be willing to break yourself. From that Hollywood model, which is, you know, leverage those big trusted behemoths that are out there and find the uh, the, the, the diversity in film.
0: I'd also say patronize film festivals.
1: For and sure. When you go there,
0: you're going to be inundated with diversity on the screen and off the screen. Yep. And it's going to be a pleasure. Now, look, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Has Hollywood portrayed black people and Native American people and other cultural minorities unfairly in their films? Yes. Of course. Have certain groups been denied access? Absolutely. Absolutely. Throughout, throughout time. For the very reason you said. Yep. Uh, hey. I've been inviting the people I know in my community in here to do this. So, um, you know, from the very beginning, we look at an Oscar Micheaux. We look at uh, those early black filmmakers that, you know, tried to make it. You know, Step and Fetch It wasn't, isn't somebody black folks are proud of for a variety of reasons. But at the zeitgeist at the time, within the zeitgeist at the time, I'm not sure what you expected him, him to be if that act is what, you know, created survival. Uh, not a, uh, not a great guy in relationships either is, 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 is my understanding. Um, but as we go along, like you said, generation after generation, the zeitgeist changes that whole, the whole feeling towards diversity changes, quite a bit. And I'll share one other hard truth, hard reality with this audience. I have been all over the world in a variety of contexts, rooms, uh, in the the world of business and, and otherwise. And the most diverse room I've ever been in has been in the film business. And that's why part of why I love it so much. Why I'm so comfortable. The hard truth is, is the two industries that I was able to do pretty well in before getting into film. I was almost always the only black person in the room at any given point. Imagine in there. Yeah. Imagine 20, 20 years of working. And I can pretty much say that I, it's going to be me and maybe one other but a lot of times just me just me and it's weird because you start to think to yourself I must be a special Negro <laughs> like how did the chosen I chosen one yeah the yeah. chosen one how did I mm-hmm. how did I sift through right like like how did I get through to, to this group and um it, it's it's a t- it's a It's 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 a silly thought. It's a silly thought, but it just enters your mind sometimes as you look around.
1: Mm -hmm. It has
0: to as you look around. And one of my best friends growing up was a guy named Ross. He's white, and I used to take him to clubs that had all black people in it. And the first thing he'd say is he'd whisper in my ear, "Hey Chris, I'm the only white guy in here." I'm like, "Welcome (laughs) to my life, bro. (laughs) Welcome to my life." But it's normal for him. Yeah, and now I put him in a place where if the world turned upside down, he would have to learn to be okay with that. It wouldn't be the end of the world. It's been it's been a great experience for me, Nick. I've had a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. I have no complaints. Okay, do I do I wish more minorities were in those rooms with me? Of course I do. Of course. Were those rooms racist rooms or terrible rooms or, you know, places where I was made to feel uncomfortable? No. Right. 99% Not of the time. All. No, I was made to yep. feel warm and, and invited and, and uh, part of the group belonging, being an integral part, being able to lead in many times, many cases. Um, but film in the arts by far, is the most diverse workspace I've ever been in, in my entire life.
1: Yep. Outside of being agree. on a football team. Right, there you go. But yeah, 100% agree, man. And I think that's the key. That's the answer in this question, you know? And I, I really feel like anyone who really feels this way, you know, isn't isn't turning their heads to the left and to the right, yeah. right? It's not focusing on what it is that necessarily Hollywood is giving you. And understand that there's so much out there. Just turn your head to the left and the right and you'll find it.
0: You know, one thing I've discovered about these uh, questions and how we answer them is that we go for it in a full way. We are not very succinct. We are not (laughs) succinct. We are not giving short answers. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to close this thing down. Okay. And then we have so many more questions we're going to find another indie talk somewhere in the near future maybe we double up on indie talks and not wait three to four weeks between indie indie Uh, talks to do it i can't do that man and we answer some of these other questions i mean i am looking at a list of questions here that is you know seemingly endless so Okay, we answered three. One, three of yeah, them. Yeah, we're good. That's Next good. time we'll try to answer five. We'll no. Do, no a little bit no. more succinct. Maybe <laughs> they, we'll answer three. depends on how three. passionate That's we, we are. We're passionate we about get everything. Passion, yeah, we get passionate about these these questions, and we're unable to answer them quickly. That's all right. I'm saying. We're
1: you know not bad. Man?
0: I mean, well, no, we don't need to be good. We're good at it. it. You know we're, I mean? we're good.
1: <laughs> we're, we're
0: bad at being good.
1: But no, we're good at being. <laughs> no, bad. we're good at being bad. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm try- how do you, you get yeah, what? Yeah, no, no, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. But yeah, I think we just, but we want to give our perspective. And some of the questions that we get are not as cut and dry as a short, succinct. Here it is. It's A, B, or C. Oh, it's obviously C. No, it takes some um, expounding upon. Yeah, to get to where we need to go. So
0: yeah, and 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 it's a kind of a taste of what you'll get from us. If you go to bonsai.film film and go to the uh, partners page, or or go to the part of the page where we show our services, think uh, producer yeah, services,
1: and panels. You know, we yeah. we love to engage yeah. with filmmakers. This is what we do. You know, as yeah. I mean, from the podcast itself, this is what we do through the podcast and we get out there in the community, whether it's at these workshops, panels, seminars, film festivals, we want to engage because there's a lot of questions out there. People do have questions. Sometimes we have answers. Sometimes we have ways to lead people to the answers, but you know, bottom line is it's all about engaging the community and getting the questions out there and just having a conversation about things. So we're, we're game to do it, so let us know. Yeah. Come to the website, check us out, ping us for the workshop, seminars, panels, schedule, schedule some
0: time with us. If you have these questions and we can go even deeper and get, you know, I don't know if we get realer, but, Mm -hmm. but we can go into some nuanced things and some granular things that would typically be sort of inappropriate for a podcast that entertains. So yeah, make sure you go to www.bonsai.film and check us out. And even though the year is flying, Nick, like I cannot believe it's already April, yep. even though it's flying 2022 still has so many cool things, uh, around the corner for, for bonsai and for this podcast. And so for those listening, for those hanging with us and enjoy what we do and support what we, what we do, we have so many more cool things in store from a content perspective and also from a product perspective perspective in terms of how we work with you in the marketplace. So keep your ear ear to the ground, uh, for that stuff. And we'll, we'll make you aware of it when we're ready to go, just know that behind the scenes, behind the curtains, me and Nick are chipping away at Gibraltar. So uh, (laughs) we're working as, 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 as hard as we can. Um, if you do want to send us more questions, right, we're we're cool with that. You can do that at contact at bonsai.film. And we answer 100% of those. So yep, for sure. send us a message at contact at bonsai.film and we will answer all those questions. You can also reach out to us uh, at underscore bonsai creative. That's on Instagram and on Twitter. And we answer 100% of those DMs as well. A lot of people reach out to us uh, there and we are totally cool with it. If you want to reach out to Nick specifically... You can find him at Nick and reach out to him at nick at bonsai.film. That's his email address. He's a crazy man. He's a crazy yeah, I man. Email email. That's right. <laughs> him. Send him,
1: send <laughs> or you can hit us up. Yeah. Or hit me up on, uh, on Instagram as well. Or,
0: or yeah. hit him up on Instagram. And yeah. then uh, if you want to get in touch with me directly, uh, I love the Twitter. I am, hmm. uh, I am a fan of the Twitter. So you can find me at flame in your heart. You're a spelled UR. So flame in you are heart and, or you can just search for Christopher Barkley at this point and I will pop right up and you can like you talk you to me. Like, yeah. Me personally. <laughs> you can just crazy. Reach oh, a, you candy man style. Just pop yeah, right you, up. Yeah. I'll pop right up. <laughs> just say my name three times. Yeah, right. Three, five times. Sure. Five times. There you go. And, and yeah, I would, I would love it. Hit me up there and, and we'll get into a little Twitter conversation there. So you can DM there or just send me a message. So with that, Nick, can you leave us with the credo?
1: Oh, of course. Of course, should I take a, another sip of my big-ass drink? hmm mm And just so you know, before I go, this is some delicious tea that I'm drinking here, and I had to put that jack in there. You, you put know, some Jack, Jack in there. Oh okay. man, I did, I did. So when you see me pouring it in this, this big old glass, sipping out of it,
0: there's Jack in here. So that's what that's what keeps you from choking kids and
1: and women in the street <laughs> when, you're, when you're frustrated. <laughs> yeah, right? It's Jack. You know, just hanging out with Jack. Oh, and, you know uh, what?
0: Before you give the credo, let me before oh, I forget, for true fans. For the cost of a $5 Starbucks drink, you can support this wonderful podcast. Go to film forward slash true fans. You can contribute there. Those who do contribute, we love you. It yeah, means the world to us. Uh, anyone who says, hey, just go do a podcast. It's no problem. They're lying. It takes a lot, effort, <laughs> a lot of effort, right. a lot of thought, a lot of uh, money, actually. So yeah. Anyone so that wants to do that, you can support us. Um, starts at $5. And those who do, again, we love you to death. We have a bi weekly newsletter. It's incredible. I mentioned it earlier. Yep, you do. So go to that website again, www.bonsaifilm. Drop your email in there, and uh, you will be able to sign up for our wonderful newsletter. So I just wanted to make sure I, I almost forgot to mention those, Nick. So yep, now, you
1: got it. now give us the credit. And now I can tell my friends, my family, my fellow filmmakers out there in the world to be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah, man, for sure. This was awesome, dude. We're not spending a four weeks. like We're getting back on, on this very soon. I love it. Me too, man. Be good.
0: You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects and indie creatives please visit our website at www.banzai.film if you haven't already you can join our podcast community on apple podcast or the podcast app of your choice by searching for make it bonsai creative and the show will pop right up you now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast if you love make it and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsaifilm and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings, from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.